Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, we will primarily be discussing the first two episodes of Only Murders in the Building, a show that we've covered here in great detail. We covered season one back in the first season of our podcast. We covered season two. We did the beginning and end. And honestly, Sona, probably going to be similar this time. We're going to probably maybe check in in the middle of the season and then get our final thoughts on the finale. And we had two episodes this week, so we'll get to review those and maybe speculate on who we what we think the story is going to be this season, who the killer might be, although this show has proven itself to not reveal the killer until later into the season. As a matter of fact, I think for the first two seasons, the character didn't even appear in the show in the first couple episodes. <laughs> so probably anything we guess right now is wrong. Good if point. the formula holds uh, true. But then we could do like maybe a sampling in the middle and come back and review like the next three episodes and then the end. I also wanted to discuss the second season of The After Party, which I know I recommended to you, Sona, off mic. I don't know if you got a chance to sample it, but I have no, things to say. No, not yet. I do have some recommendations for you and just the audience in general, and I'll bring that up during our conversation. And of course, anybody who's listening to this, if you haven't caught up on our most recent episodes, we just uh, did our top five episodes of Bluey, a very popular show, one of the most popular shows ever uh, on Disney Plus or in general across the board. It's always on the streaming charts every single month. And I think at the end of the year, it placed number three last year for Nielsen for the most watched show in the world, which you may not be watching because maybe your kids are watching it, but you should watch it with them. So check it out and listen to our episode about it. And of course, many of you are probably streaming, I should say binging, Hijack on Apple TV Plus, a show that's become a big hit for Apple TV. <laughs> Almost certainly going to have a sequel, Sona, whether we like it or not. I hope it's not another Hijack. <laughs> Maybe it'll be Idris <laughs> in... I do think they're probably going to do what I suggested in one of those episodes in our conversations, that it's like Idris in a different situation. Or I would find it really fascinating if this cabal of criminals <clears throat> who are blackmailing people into participating in these crimes, imagine Idris is now complicit because he's being blackmailed into committing a crime. He's one of the hijackers or he's committing mm. or he's part of a, a bank robbery or something. And Idris using his clever set of skills is trying to comply and yet get himself out of circumstance at the same time. I think that'll be a lot of fun. So maybe a suggestion for when the writer's strike ends and they start writing this thing. <laughs> <laughs> so do check out our episodes on that. We had three episodes that covered the entire season of Hijack, if you haven't caught up with it yet. A lot of fun, a perfect summer watch, and a perfect binge, actually. Before we get into all of that, Sona, I have something I want to talk to you about. Totally off the cuff. I just started thinking about this today, with Hijack being such a big hit. It really feels like old school TV, right? Like you could imagine everybody's been watching this on a network and every week, you know, gathering at the water cooler and being like, can you believe that idiot did that thing? Or how do you think this is all going to play out? So it works as a binge, but it also works as old school TV. And I feel like we've been in this prestige mode of television. And honestly, that's part of the reason that I wanted to start having this podcast is because I was more of a film fan, but then all of a sudden, all the really interesting writing was going to TV, shows like Breaking Bad, et cetera. But then I start thinking, given what we're just having right now, this strike and everything, these shows that really take off, yes, there are those prestige shows that take off, but oftentimes it feels like the shows that become really massive streaming hits are old school television. You know, Hijack obviously is an example of a streaming network having a more kind of old school formula. But of course, when we look at what is hugely popular on the streaming charts, you traditionally would have seen in the olden days, back when everything was on Netflix, The Office and 
Friends and Seinfeld now has been a big hit on Netflix when it came to Netflix. But here's the reason I'm circling all the way back to this, because I know you watch this show and I've never seen a single moment of this. There's a show called Desperate Housewives. No, Suits. (laughs) No, I have not watched Suits. Oh, you have not? I thought you were the one who had recommended it to me a while back. No, I know people love it. And I know it's about lawyers. And I know Meghan Markle was on it. I was pretty certain that you had watched Suits. And then I might have to excise this part of the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, the reason I brought it up is that Suits had been on Peacock because it was like, you know, on USA or whatever network it was on. And now it has popped up on Netflix. And the first week it popped up on Netflix, it was one of the top 10 most popular shows on there. It did very, very well. The second week, it set a record for the highest number of stream minutes ever on Netflix Mm -hmm. for a rerun show. And then this week, it broke that number. It went even higher. So here's a show that is like basically the definition of procedural. And and, you know it's become a phenomenon. And of course, I think there's a Meghan Markle. People want to see her now. Her publicity, but I don't think that's the main reason people are watching this show. I think they're watching it because they're getting hooked into that type of procedural. So my question to you, unfortunately, you have not watched Suits, but my general question to you was, given this streaming model and how we supposedly want prestige television or whatever that supposedly even means at this point, is it surprising to you at all that people are kind of gravitating to these type of procedurals? When you look at the weekly charts, what's always popular, some of the shows I mentioned before. But guess what? NCIS is still very popular. Criminal Minds is hugely popular, hugely popular. So do people still want old school TV? As you may know, I've always been more of a TV person than a movie Mm -hmm. person. I've never been a person who's like, oh, I need the movie theater experience. And it's so different. If anything, I felt uncomfortable in the movie theater. I would rather be home in my pajamas. So whether I was watching a movie or a TV show, I would rather be home. As you're saying, certain television got so good that it felt like, well, who needs a movie when you can watch this on TV and, you know, it, you can watch it over the course of weeks. You can watch it all at once. You have so much more control of your, over your environment. But I think there's also something to be said for the television shows that you can just put on and kind of have going in the background and you tune in and out of them and you don't really have to be paying attention 100% of the time that you're watching the show for fear that you're going to miss something very important that you're going to need to know in order to make the whole rest of it make sense. And I think those procedural shows hit that spot. In my experience, I was not really ever one for a lot of these procedurals. But one thing that I watched when I was in college, like because it was on all the time, was Law & Order. We still watch it. So mm-hmm. many seasons of Law and Order. I remember I would watch at lunchtime, and it was the old Chris Nolf, like the early seasons. And then I would watch in the afternoon, and then you know they were watch they were playing the most recent episodes, you know, a decade later by a completely different cast. But here's the thing: I it didn't matter. I can basically be watching these stories in two different streams and following the subtle character development in each one, but it didn't really matter because I, that's what I was going to circle back to what, what you said. I think in a way it teaches you how to watch it because there's such a formula that you know that you just have to pay attention for like those first few minutes to see mm-hmm. what the case is. <laughs> you just have to tune in for the end because whoever they arrest first is not the real culprit. So it's like, you really know, you could just kind of sample the beginning, the middle and the end, and you get everything you need. And if you missed the whole middle you really don't have to go back and like say, oh, I missed that part. Like if you're watching it with somebody. There are many, 
many times I have watched Law and Order and thought, huh, how did they figure out it was this guy? Because I have completely (laughs) tuned out and missed it. And you know what? I just shrug my shoulders and keep watching. It's compelling enough that you're interested, but it's not so compelling that you're like, well, now I got to rewind it to figure out how they determined that they should go check out this place and found this person. You're kind of just like, "Mm, I'll put the pieces together as this goes on. I think shows like that and sitcoms are those shows that like, you know, you don't have to be super invested in and you can come in and out and they keep you entertained, but you also don't feel bad if you stop to take a call, if you get distracted surfing on the internet, kind of a dichotomy as far as what television has become. It's really interesting to me because I traditionally do not have a lot of tolerance for that kind of, I'm barely paid attention to the show. Although specifically with Law and Order, it really fit that niche where I could just kind of turn it on at lunchtime. And if I had to turn it off in the middle, like I wasn't watching this streaming, I was watching this on A&E or whatever it was rerunning on. If I had to just like exit halfway through, I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I didn't see how it wrapped up. I'm like, I really don't care. And if I'm halfway in, it doesn't matter. It kind of gave me the same experience, whether I sampled the whole thing, part of it, uh, and every once in a while, there would be like a knockout episode. But yes, in general, I was about to say every yeah. now and then there is something super compelling right. where you feel like you have to find out how it yes, turns out. Yes. Mm-hmm. But that is not the typical one. It's, you know, maybe one out of every 10 or 15. Right. Which makes it very low stress as well. And But I think what the problem with that is because it's such a dichotomy in the ways you watch. I monitor these message boards and things, which is something I traditionally do not do because it just irritates me. <laughs> but I have been doing it recently for this podcast because I want to see what are people talking about, what is popular, et cetera. And oftentimes you'll see people who are watching something that is more prestige. The reviews will be very positive. And then you'll see these very negative reviews also. And in the reviews, you'll see that people have completely said, why would they do this at the end? You know, like it makes no sense as if they had missed giant chunks of like twists yes. and reveals and things yes. in the plot. And it won't be one person who's saying this. It'll be multiple people. Yes. And I think that's what's interesting about it. I think if you're trained to watch a procedural where you just tune in and tune out, really just focus on the last five minute cliffhanger of the show. If you watch like some of these prestige shows that way, you're going to be so confused by the time you get to no, the you're on your at own. the end. Yeah, because also a lot of those shows will work it into the dialogue too, right? right. So exactly. that right. if you missed it, they'll spell it out for you a couple more times why things are happening the way they're happening. <laughs> like you said, there's a real dichotomy here. If you are very closely watching a um, a more prestige type show where you have to pick up every line and something's not going to pay off for three or four episodes, watching a procedural that is 80% fluff is going to be irritating to that viewer who expects yes. this higher density of show. And then vice versa. If you're used to watching something very, very casually where you can kind of skip a whole episode and you really haven't missed anything, like a sitcom, for example, where you know everybody's relationships just reset literally at the end of every episode. So you can watch them in any order you want, like tuned out half of one episode or skipped it because you were watching it with your wife and you didn't want to make her go back and rewatch an episode you're going to get to the end and be completely confused as to what happened because some episode you skipped was utterly essential. <laughs> so it's it's an interesting um, uh, conundrum. To that point, I just rewatched the first, uh, never got all the way through it. I started rewatching it as part of our coverage here. The Breaking Bad, I think I watched the first two seasons all the way through, maybe even three. And I did binge them all. It was extremely satisfying in the fact that I watched Breaking Bad when it was live on television. And this is before there were podcasts and everything. You know, this whole culture didn't exist. So I wasn't watching an episode and then listening to multiple conversations about it afterwards. I would think about it for a little while. And I was watching it by myself at first. Eventually, my wife started 
caught up on it and started watching it with me. At the beginning, I was just watching it by myself week to week. And, you know, I'd watch it and then tune it out. And it wasn't like some kind of important cultural artifact. It was just a crime show I was watching week to week. Rewatching it, I realized how incredibly well designed the show was, much more so than I appreciated at the time. And second of all, there's whole things that I skipped because I probably, like during the summer when it was running, I probably skipped the whole episode and it wasn't available to stream. So I just didn't watch it. So there were whole whole entire plot developments that I'm like, oh, I didn't even know that happened. Or maybe, you know what? It wasn't that maybe I didn't remember it happened. Maybe I never saw that episode. Maybe that's why I don't remember it happened, right? It was a very satisfying rewatch, but it's such a different experience now than it ever was before. So a show that kind of splits the difference between being old school TV and new school TV is probably Only Murders in the Building. It's a perfect example of that. (laughs) In that it has these elements of prestige TV. Certainly in the casting. Right, absolutely. But also in the fact that there is like a large story that is developing week to week. But in so many ways, it is almost like a sitcom, right, as well. So it has these two things running in parallel. Yes, although these first two episodes, I did not feel that the clever one-liners were coming nearly at the pace that I have grown accustomed to from this show. Yes, yes. Let's save season season three commentary just for a few minutes here because I want to review your- Just kind of reflect on season one and season two. (laughs) But I I do want to just add to what you said that I totally agree. This was the roughest start to the show. Still very (laughs) pleasant. Still totally enjoying the chemistry of the cast and everything. All that is fine. But definitely not the kind of like hit the ground running thrill that the first two seasons were for sure. Before we do get into these two episodes... I did want to discuss season one and season two and the phenomena of the show, such such a hugely successful show. Hulu really needs more hits, and this has been a huge hit for them, obviously. It's interesting, right? Like that first season was definitely developed, I think even shot in the second wave of COVID. So it definitely is a COVID show, right? I mean, it's about living in a city, <laughs> being locked in your apartment mm-hmm. and being lonely, right? Like loneliness is a huge theme to this very day that this third season of the show continues to be a major theme of Agreed. the show and the loneliness of living in a large city. You live in Manhattan, right? So do you appreciate that? I mean, obviously you don't live alone, but you can imagine, uh, you probably know like your mom, for example, someone who's older, who lives in the city, who is pretty isolated, right? In your old age, everybody's kind of living their lives and you are off on your own in your little island, even though you're among all of these people. Just to cover my mom specifically, she has a way bigger social network than I have and (laughs) is constantly off to her ceramics class and whatnot. So she specifically does not have that issue. But I think one of the things that is great about the city for older people, when you're not in COVID lockdown, There are so many people that you come across and just make small talk with in everyday life as you go about just like going to check your mail in the lobby of the building. And, you know, we have a cute little neighborhood with some gardens and my mom has made a routine of, oh, every night at sunset, I go sit on this one bench and then you'll see that people walk by with their dogs. And so, you know, the city can be very much as social or antisocial as you want it to be. Ironically, In my job now, as opposed to my previous job where I had calls all day and people constantly pinging me on Gchat and I can go days without talking to another person 
<laughs> outside of my husband and my child. And it is a little bit disorienting for me and not the experience that I'm used to because, you know, prior to locked- COVID lockdown, I went to the office every day. And so I had those little interactions with the people at Starbucks and the people in my office. And then there was COVID lockdown and we all feared for our lives. And then I had a job that required a lot of interaction. And now I, this is something I've just been contemplating recently, actually, a little bit withdrawal of those social interactions in a very strange way, because I consider myself an introvert. So in many ways, I am thriving. Like this is kind of what I want, right? Is to just be left alone with my thoughts. But it is a little bit weird in a city of millions of people that I can go days without talking to anyone that I don't live with. Only Murders does get at that idea, how it can be isolating and it can also be overstimulating at the same time. Mm -hmm, Sometimes there's nobody and sometimes there's people everywhere. I'm going to jump the gun now as well, because this is something I wanted to discuss. Are you the Mabel here in the group? Because jumping to season three, once again, there's this whole situation where Mabel definitely is the one who's the most put upon or at least acts that way. And now all of a sudden she's feeling this loneliness because she is the one who's kind of on the outs, right? So this this murder actually gives her an opportunity to become more social, right? Yeah, maybe I am because my husband goes to the office every day. My yeah. child is going to day camp every day. <laughs> I'm the one that's sitting here at home. I mean, at least I have you to talk to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you didn't have uh, me, you, you might have to uh, wait for a murder in the building to, uh, to keep you occupied. <laughs> A little recap of the first couple of seasons. Season one, just a reminder to everybody, is that Jan, Steve Martin's character, Charles's love interest, turned out to be the murderer. <laughs> I was a little disappointed by that turn, if you guys hear my coverage there of that. I enjoyed that season very much, by the way. A very, very funny season of television. Very funny. Was a little disappointed with the reveal because I kind of was rooting for them as a couple. <laughs> also... It just felt a little thrown together to me at the end there. That she was a mass kill murderer, like that she was like a <laughs> romantic murderer. I could kind of buy that she was ready to kill everybody in the building. I was like, okay, this is escalated like crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I also felt I just needed a few more clues that it was her yes, all along yeah. that, you know, maybe didn't make sense at the time, but in retrospect, all added up, that kind of thing. Yeah. But again, like I think that season was so clever and so funny that it's okay. <laughs> yeah. And then last season, more of a commentary season two on <laughs> podcasting, may I say, but actually more importantly, the whole true crime phenomenon, this whole fan culture around it. So a little more commentary about that, openly making fun of the show. You have people criticizing the actual storyline of the podcast, the, this new murder and critiquing us to whether it was as fresh as the first season, et cetera. So they're making fun of themselves in real time within the show. A little too meta for me, to be honest, although some of those jokes were pretty funny. And I did like the disparity in the fan group that they had these multi-generational, some people from all different walks of life, some people very successful, some people had like no other life other than the podcast. I did enjoy that because of course the people who make the podcast are also kind of thrown together and really wouldn't realistically be hanging out together for any other reason which kind of speaks to the community that forms around these things, but is also a little critical of the gawking at real life murders, which of course is the premise of this whole show. And my disappointment with there was not only that I thought that the reveal was a little weak, the killer herself was not as Mm -hmm. interesting a character or we didn't know much about her until the very end, but also very early on, I was so excited at 
this revelation that they could snoop on each other through the walls. And oh, it really right, started to right. delve into, like we had one episode where you saw people almost wordlessly living inside of their homes. Like we see Bunny's existence vilified as this kind of obnoxious woman in season one. But then we see that she has this kind of lonely internal life and being able to see everybody in the building. I thought this would be a really interesting reveal and could very deeply develop these themes that the show has. And really just at the moment where the show could have gone in a very deep direction, I kind of felt like it came became even more superficial. Although there were some very funny uh, sequences in the the big reveal at the end, you know, um, Charles doing his slow motion thing and uh, the whole tomatoes making- Wait, uh, the, the physical comedy <laughs> was amazing yeah. on that. A yes. lot of physical comedy towards the end. And some very clever things. The flashback to seeing Oliver playing the murder game back in the 70s during the Summer of Sam. And I feel like the show constantly has these very clever ideas and really doesn't develop them enough, to be honest. Like I would have seen even more flashbacks in that season would have been great. Or even using the whole reveal of the hidden passageways even more so. I thought that was such a fun opening up of the show. For whatever reasons, they haven't fully pulled off some of the things they've attempted, which all leads us to season three. First of all, what do you think of the guest stars? You have two really big ones, right? You have Paul Rudd and you have Meryl Streep, of course. What did you think about these two new additions to the cast? Paul Rudd, I find, you know, is just one of those very likable people always. I'm always happy to see him in anything. I don't have particularly strong feelings about him, but whatever feelings I do have are positive feelings. <laughs> Meryl Streep, obviously one of the renowned great actresses of our time. Yet, I realized as I was watching this, I have seen very, very few Meryl Streep movies. Um, really? Wow. I can name a few, but I haven't seen them. Like I can think of, obviously, Sophie's Choice, Silkwood. <laughs> wow, you're really going back. <laughs> yeah, I'm really <laughs> going back. We saw her in Big Little Lies, right? Which was not. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I just didn't love that season. So, but I thought she did a good job with the character, actually. The Devil Wears Prada. Gosh, I haven't seen that. And in... I'm trying to move into the into the current into this century. Yeah, <laughs> fair. Mamma Mia. I didn't see Mamma Mia. I didn't see Mamma Mia either, <laughs> but I know it's very popular. So I did really like her here. I thought her character was compelling. I love this setup as someone who lives in New York City and like the entertainment industry here and. It's hard to be in that industry and you do have to take so much rejection and I don't know how people do it. And I mean, it often strikes me when people are famous actors, musicians, whatever it may be, in my mind, it's not necessarily that they have this unparalleled extraordinary talent. It's that circumstances have been that they found the right opportunities one way or the other, whether by luck or by connections or whatever it may be, because there are an immense number of super talented people in this city who never get their big break, who never become famous. I really like how it addressed that. And I liked her character here. I did not think these episodes were that funny, but I did love her doing the accents at the table read. Yes. I thought that was hysterical. That's a little meta too, because you know everybody makes fun of Meryl Streep always having an accent in every one of her movies, and I didn't you know, know the that. Whole, <laughs> the whole joke that's like if she does an accent, she wins it. She gets an Academy Award nomination, right? So of course it's very funny that she decides to make these like really elaborate accents. For, so it's a little bit of a meta joke there about her as as well. 
I thought the French Canadian was hysterical. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> like indecipherable, her, her, her actual dialogue. Yeah, that was maybe the only laugh out loud joke I had in this whole thing. Although there's some. Yeah, cute... it may have been. Yeah. By the way, I did like that they were in the third tier of the um, funeral goers. The overflow room. Yes. <laughs> the overflow room. Yes. The third overflow, three. overflow room. <laughs> overflow three. Exactly. <laughs> I like that they're in that room and then Mabel's like, oh, I didn't really know him. And they're like, no, you're in the right place. <laughs> they ended up in the total stranger overflow as well. <laughs> A little shading here too, that Charles coming to the revelation that he is responsible for some of this because he was kind of a jerk to this guy when he was much younger. Paul Rudd is like mm -hmm. 50 now and could probably pull off, not he can't pull up the being a teenager in a girl cop or whatever that show that he was in. He still uh, can pull up probably being like 28 or something if he wanted to. Have you seen that thing online? It shows you a series of pictures of Paul Rudd and you have to pick <laughs> right. which one he's older which in age, and it's impossible. Right. Impossible. Um, but I did like the comment about like he was the 31 year old playing a teenager in girl cop because I <laughs> right. think that's very true to what Clueless was for him probably in his 20s at that point but he wasn't playing he was playing the older brother he like he's a like college age so he might have he was not playing the high schooler so which is inappropriate there by the way he is much older than she is she's like supposed to be playing like a 16 year old so questionable questionable mm. but appropriate in correlation to the emma book that it's based on back then the men in those books are much older than the women what did you think about this whole joke that he is this giant star from being in this, uh, you know, Cobra, the Cobra bro? Okay. I looked it up because I just wanted to check. You're right. Yeah. Uh, he played a college student, but he was 25. So actually not that far Not off. that bad. So not that's that bad. interesting that like the, he froze at that age though. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yes. He does not look that different. He's twice I'm as old sure now. I'm not sure if I ever saw him anything before Clueless. Maybe he also looked this age when he was 16. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe, yes. At 10, he looked this age already. Frozen in time, whether he's younger or older. So fair point on your part. The Cobro thing is interesting to me. <laughs> it does sound like something that could happen in real life to an actor, I would say. I think they're making fun of him being Ant-Man also, right? So it's another oh, joke about, you know, Ant. You know. And I like also, there's so many Easter eggs. I can't even remember them all. When they go to that fan's house and they have all the other movies he's been in, all the posters and stuff are yes. inside jokes to other things that have been referenced within Only Murders, but also like even just like from his career. And I hadn't picked up on that. Very interesting. They do like to put those Easter eggs in there as well. They do. How do you expect this structure of the show to be? I actually thought they get Paul Rudd in the teaser and then he dies in the teaser last mm -hmm. year I'm talking about. And I'm like, well, that way he doesn't have to actually do the show. But then of course here he dies again at the very beginning of the show. And then yet he is resurrected because it didn't actually kill him. But then of course, someone pushes him into the elevator shaft and does kill him. And we had heard that the elevator shaft had had some problems in the past. They were expecting like the doors open and they have like a, a big opening. Mad Men, a lot at Mad Men there. And then someone must have shoved him in potentially, unless he fell in by accident, which is also, I guess, a possibility. Very clever that they bring the murder into the building. <laughs> I was wondering about that as well. I thought, wow, we've really departed from the theme and title of this show because the murder was not in the building. Yep. But then there you have it. They stayed true, which I respect. <laughs> I do like Uma's reaction, though. Uma being like the, a nice little surrogate here bunny for, for the show now, where she's like, you got to be kidding me. Because... <laughs> He does end up dying in the building. <laughs> I do want to ask who you think the killer is, but I might leave that for last. After Charles kind of takes the blame for 
having been a jerk to this guy in the past, we have this flashback to basically whatever it was, six months earlier or the interim between the two seasons. You know, Obviously, it's going to allow Paul Rudd to be in there. When I saw his name in the credits, I figured we were going to get something like that. Also, it kind of gives us an opportunity to, going back to what you described about, there's a lot of working actors in New York that never make it, very much the Meryl Streep character here. And I'm sure we'll discover more about her life struggling to make it in some way. And Oliver's kind of one of these fringe characters as well, although I guess he got paid well enough or had at least a hit at some point where he can afford this lavish apartment. Yeah, and got the funding for that one production that really bombed, Splash, right? <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> With all the dancers splatting onto the, <laughs> onto the stage. So what do you think about the structure of going back in time? I guess I'll go back and forward in time, right? Because you'll have the current investigation and then flashbacks to what might have led up to it. I'm assuming it's going to continue that way, which makes sense, first of all, because you don't get Paul Rudd for him to just die and you never really see him again after the first episode. But given what they've established that you know he was holding the death rattle handkerchief, so it must <laughs> right. be somebody that is involved with the play that he gifted those to, it will give us a chance to develop those characters and see all the many reasons that many people would have wanted to kill Paul Rudd, I'm assuming. Yeah, it seems to be when you see him, he's not dead. And he returns and apologizes to everybody. Everybody, first of all, is not very happy to see him back. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and they all have basically laid out their motivation that every single one of them could have been the, the killer because he's apparently has been a jerk to all of them. And I guess we'll get details on exactly how he's been a jerk to all of them over the course of the season itself. I wasn't certain until the end that they would have this kind of framing device because another way they could use him was there was actually that really interesting scene where he appears as his teenage version of himself. True, talking to Selena Gomez, right. Which is actually a very sweet moment going back to that theme of her loneliness and her needing to reconnect with the guys, even if it takes a murder to do it, (laughs) that Mm -hmm. uh, you know she had that moment of remembering her mom. They basically would watch this dumb show, but they were in separate rooms. Going back to the idea of like the power of- procedural television that she could, um, <laughs> that they were watching the show together and laughing at the same jokes. Yeah. I thought that was a really sweet moment. And also I will say, I also in many ways grew up with the TV on all the time, partly because it was a babysitter, partly because my house was very quiet. And so it felt like I was less alone if the TV was on all the time. Yeah. And I mean, that was probably a quiet home for her yeah. when her mom was sick. And then, of course, after her mom passed, then probably her and her dad probably weren't the most talkative people after that as well. So TV was probably a comfort for them, for sure. So the first thing I wanted to mention as far as this whole backstage comedy potential that is coming up, there's a film called Noises Off. Have you ever seen this by chance, Sona? I have not seen it. I'm familiar with it. I think it's also a Broadway play, right? Yeah. Or a play. And mm-hmm. I know my familiarity with it is... From my understanding, Frasier, the sitcom from decades ago, another old reference from me, mm-hmm. would often do physical comedy and like a noises off style of like different doors opening and closing mm-hmm. and people yeah. switching rooms and not knowing who is supposed to be in which room and the misunderstandings that would result from that. This film, for people who haven't seen it, it's from 1992. The play came out in 1982 and was hugely popular played for a decade or more probably and it's been revived many times. It was actually directed by Peter Bogdanovich who you know had a string of massively famous and successful films 
in the 70s and then his career kind of fell apart there was a whole murder that there's a whole that the whole star 80 thing like his centerfold girlfriend was murdered brutally and uh, so kind of ruined his life as well his life is a whole soap opera you can have a whole show just about that to that point He's not a great director in this particular film. And I remember when the film came out, the reviews were pretty mixed on it. So I had no interest in seeing it and then stumbled upon it on cable TV one day. And I never saw the original play. I've only seen the movie version. And what I would say is, if you happen to be able to watch this film, it is so absolutely hysterically funny. And obviously, what is so funny about it is the structure, which comes from the play, not from the movie. But it's so well done. This cast is terrific. For physical comedy, you have Carol Burnett, Michael Caine, Denholm Elliott, who died that year, actually. He was older. Julie Haggerty from Airplane mm-hmm. and many other films. Mary Lou Henner, Christopher Reeve, John Ritter, who's incredible in this, by the way, and Mark Lynn Baker. Such a great <laughs> from, physical comedian, John Ritter. He is really incredible in this film. You have to see his physical comedy here. And what's so great about this movie, and once again, this comes from the structure from the play, you get to see them do a rehearsal and everything goes perfect. So it's so great because it's like watching a a hijack movie or something. You see exactly how it's supposed to play. And then for the rest of the film, we go backstage. And I think in the original production, they actually turn the stage around. So you're seeing the back of the stage. Mm-hmm. And we know what's happening on the front because we just saw it work correctly. And then not only do you see like all the difficulty in couples that are fighting and breaking up and all this stuff happening in the back, but then they're still trying to hit their marks in the front and there's all the comedy of that. But then about halfway through, everything starts to go wrong. And it's as if in your mind, you know, oh my God, if this doesn't happen, then that's not going to happen. And you just see it all fall apart. One sight gag after another. It's really, really hysterically funny. And like I said, people, I guess at the time didn't really appreciate it. The reviews weren't terrible. They were just mixed, probably because they had seen the stage show. I've never seen the stage show. So for me, I thought it was absolutely surprising and hysterically funny. I will not be surprised at all if we get a very similar episode Mm -hmm. of the show here. And I really do look forward to that. Yeah, that sounds super fun. I just checked to see where it's streaming. I don't think it's streaming anywhere except for Hoopla. (laughs) The names of these platforms, man. I've never heard of that one, but okay. (laughs) <laughs> this is for libraries, by the way. So I recommend this, by the way. If you have a library card, anybody out there, if you have a library card, install Hoopla and install Canopy, two apps that allow you to download books and movies and comic books and a lot of other content as well. And all you have to do is put your library card number in there. And if they're part of it, and New York City, by the way, is definitely a part of this network, by the way, Sona, you have tons and tons of things to download, including, by the way, on Canopy, tons and tons of Thrillers from the 80s, Sona, which is a little preview of maybe something we might be covering in the future right here. <laughs> you might have to install Canopy on your TV at some point. <laughs> so, Sona, I want to talk to you about possible speculation on who the killers could be. <laughs> Off mic, you mentioned that you really don't have any speculation, but I'm going to throw some theories at you and you can just react to them. Great. First of all, there is definitely a whole thing going on here where Selena Gomez is excited by the fact that this guy might have died, not because she hates him or anything, but because it might get the band all back together again. That's right. And then, of course, this kind of joy when it it's in the building and everything. It's like perfect now, right? So there is a commentary, I think, there, you know, subtly. I think the show does have some commentary to make, maybe in the fact that, yes, there's these communities that form around these true crime podcasts and shows 
But then there is something a little gruesome about waiting for the next murder so we can listen to the next episode. I mean, taking the photos of the corpse, that's kind of grim what Mm -hmm. she was doing here. People conveyed that to their shock at like, where did you get these photos? First of all, (laughs) doing it, but also having the presence of mind to do it, right? right? When you're looking at a dead body and thinking what I should do is document this. Yeah. And I mean, I think really speaks to where her head is at and how desperately she needs to, to reconnect. She's very in a very lonely place. Again, going back to that central theme of the show. And she's got to move out of this amazing apartment in four weeks. Yeah, exactly. In a way, they kind of set her up as potentially being the killer, you know, but I don't even think they really want us to explore that thought, considering that she's inside the elevator when his body falls on top of the uh, on top of the elevator they're actually riding in. So it'd be pretty elaborate for her to set that up. And you know, I don't think we're supposed to actually believe that she is a murderer. But I it agree. did make me think about the documentarian here on the show and how they introduced him briefly. He's just saying, here I am, and you're never going to hear from me again, which is a very interesting way to introduce that character. But here's somebody who potentially is making a very boring behind-the-scenes documentary who maybe now has the opportunity to make a documentary about a murder of a very famous person. So is that potentially a motivation? The reason I bring it up is because not only that he's kind of weird to have introduced this character, but I think thematically it would kind of reflect on Selena Gomez, who's making this podcast about the same murder. And you know what I mean? Like that kind of allows them to explore that theme a little bit. That's a good point. You know what I wondered about the documentary that's being made? Shouldn't those people be getting paid for being in the documentary as well? I don't know how that works. I know this is a complete tangent. I'm sorry. (laughs) On Disney, whenever there's a new Marvel show or movie, they always put out a documentary. Or for example, when Game of Thrones wrapped up, they had a really incredible documentary, by the way, I highly recommend, about the making of that final season. It's not only about meeting with the cast. They talk to these people from Ireland who made medieval looking artifacts and then they got hired by Game of Thrones. And these are people who you know, had very modest lifestyles who are suddenly making more money than they could possibly could have imagined. But now for like 10 years, that has become their entire life. And they're like, we are utterly exhausted. <laughs> like we can't keep doing this. So it really shows you just a huge amount of artisans and craftspeople who have seen their little children at the beginning of the documentary who are like babies who are now like you know, almost high school age. And they're wow. like, when will it end? <laughs> it won't stop. <laughs> to your point, these people are being shot for years, how do they get paid? I don't know. Is it all just part of their contract? Must be something in the terms of the contract that is written broadly enough to encompass that kind of stuff. Here, everyone was surprised about the documentary. I don't know. Again, it's a tangent, (laughs) just something that I was wondering about. They'll just have to fuzz out all their faces in the documentary. (laughs) Everybody's. Yeah. (laughs) And distort their voices. Definitely here, they're setting it up as a potential killer is the Meryl Streep character herself, where she seemed to be relieved when they look like they're going to cancel the show. There's that reversal, of course, when he's still alive and she seems kind of disappointed. Didn't even touch on this before, but it does seem like they're trying to set her up as a love interest for Oliver. For sure. And I actually thought they had a really sweet chemistry between them when they were at the piano. Yeah, I d- thought so too. And you get to see Martin Short not play his usual crazy <laughs> you know, self. He gets to play a more naturalistic performance. Very nice to see them performing these kind of scenes together. Is it possible that she would kill to end the show? I don't feel like she would, given the setup. She's just been waiting her whole life for someone to say, where have you been? I don't think she would sabotage her big break like that. Right. I agree. Although it's I- Meryl Streep. So do you get Meryl Streep and not <laughs> right. make her the murderer? So I don't know. 
it's so obvious and they're setting her up as a potential killer in episode one at this point, it seems that would be not the case. But who knows? Maybe sometimes like, you know, it's one of those things where it's so obvious that it's true. <laughs> I don't know how satisfying that would be. Right. Okay. One thing maybe you can speculate on is, do you think that it is one killer for both attempts? So the poisoning was one killer and the shoving as well. Or do you think it's two killers? Like potentially someone did try to poison him and then he survived and someone else shoved him into the elevator shaft. I hadn't considered that it might be two people. I think that would be an interesting plot development. One person had the motivation to kill him, but just couldn't pull it off. And then something else happens when he shows up at this party where someone else says, oh, I wish the first person had gotten it right and shoves him through the elevator shaft. Even the elevator shaft thing, I can almost envision it as it was an accident. He could have fallen into the elevator shaft by accident and having the handkerchief didn't mean he grasp that no. he could have just had in his hand because he was wiping off his hands or something, right? That was what was well, Or he could have available. realized he was falling and reached for somebody and- Right, exactly. But if that's it. the case, then you would assume that person would come forward pretty quickly. True. true. Good point. And this reminds me, my hopefully my last dated reference of this conversation, LA Law had a big plot with somebody yes. mm-hmm. uh, yeah. falling into an elevator shaft in the, I don't know, what was that? The 1980s? The late 80s? Yeah. Yeah. And then Mad Men, uh, he almost falls down the elevator shaft too, right? Mm-hmm. That happens. But I do remember that LA Law, that shocking moment where, you know, they it were in the, was having shocking. a fight in the I hallway. I watched it live, yes. Just <laughs> fell to his death, exactly. A total shock. Spoilers for anybody who's binging LA Law right now. <laughs> if it's available on a streamer, someone's binging it right now. <laughs> Any really funny moments here from the episode you want to bring up? I like the fact that um, Oliver has to expand his palate now. He's got to eat carbs every once in a while, not just I, dips. Yes, I noticed, not just dip-based anymore, yes. <laughs> right. His doctor told him he had to uh, do something. Oh, and of course, I did forget to mention this. He had a heart attack, a minor, just a small one. <laughs> and is yes. that good or bad? I did like the scene with the doctor and the son. Yes. Echoing each other. The right. son is a veterinarian, right? Am I remembering yes. that correctly? Mm-hmm. It was nice that there's a South Asian character now. Right. I don't know if that yeah. means we're not going to see the original detective again, but I did like his addition to the cast. And I wanted to ask that super fan stalker, where have we seen him before? Oh, I know I've, that you know, he's, actor. He's one of those guys. And right. I, can, I have IMDb open right now, so I can. I feel like I've seen him in several other things. Generally, not as much laugh out loud one-liners as I'm used to seeing from this show. I do think that there's plenty of space for them to return to that type of thing. Super stalker Greg, Adrian Martinez, we have seen him in. Wow. None of the things that he's known for. (laughs) None of the things that he's known for. (laughs) Nothing that makes sense. Yeah, he's like at those guys. He was like, you know, in Sisters. He was in Focus with uh, Will Smith. He was in one of the Spider-Man movies. Uh, that's but, I mean, I'm it. Sure- that's it. Focus. That's what I'm in that Oh, focus? Oh, okay. Yeah. Which is a super fun movie for anyone who hasn't seen it. I'm going to give it a shot. It's very fun. But he's been a that guy and he's been around for a really long time. He's got his resume goes back decades. So, And we, as we know, I've been watching TV for decades from the references <laughs> right? that I've made in this conversation. <laughs> that's so. when you stopped watching TV. So that's all you yes. That's why. Um, I did think it was interesting. There was a a real quick reference to Lucy. I wonder if we're going to see her again. (laughs) Did you drop her off? I like that. That really seems dismissive. That seems like that we may not actually see her Yeah, you don't think so? (laughs) We're done with Lucy. They acknowledge she's still alive and existing and that's it. 
Well, she was in the crowd shot at the end of season two, right? So I guess that's why they had to mention the fact that, mm-hmm. oh, did you drop her off on the way home? But maybe that's just a way to like acknowledge that connection to season two without having to bring the actress back. Yes, maybe. maybe. Oh, Howard, by the way, forgot to mention, Howard is now an assistant yes. on the play itself yes. after failing his audition. Yes. <laughs> but his boyfriend is the understudy, right? Mm-hmm. And that could be yet another uh, potential reason for the murder, right? The understudy would then have to step up into the lead role. True. I feel like we've seen a plot similar to that before, maybe on Monk or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> another one of these uh, shows that are kind of in the vein with this show as well. Another show from the 1990s. Um, that might be the <laughs> right. 2000s. I, I might have broached the century. That might have um, crossed over into the 2000s. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and of course, with the with the way we wrap things up, I know you're not going to be looking forward to this, by the way. Oliver gets that negative review from the critic. Right. And the critic, I think the critic gives a pretty good commentary there, like really what criticism is for, to say, you know, that critic is going to be as critical as possible, but that Martin Short's play, which she had never given him positive reviews in the past, but at least they were kind of like in his style. And she felt like this whole thing was very timid. Yes. And so now we're going to see Death Rattle, the musical. The musical. Yes, exactly. Death Rattle Dazzle. <laughs> and then we got, you know, one of those things that, you know, I do hate that kind of musical <laughs> yeah. delusion yeah. in that. I think that was like a Fosse style dance. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, good thing you brought up Fosse, by the way. So I think that's definitely something we're going to see in this season of the show. All That Jazz, the movie, All That Jazz is about this director doing a show and having a massive heart attack. And then it's almost like a death dream. Like potentially you could read the whole film as the play itself being some kind of death dream for the director of the show. And Fosse died a few years after making that movie of a massive heart attack. So it's kind of Mm, very autobiographical. And he was a womanizer and the character that Roy Scheider plays in that movie, which is excellent, by the way. It's a very dark movie, but, but you know, he's a womanizer as well. And, you know, has all, it basically is extremely autobiographical and paints him in incredibly horrible light. If, if this is his own self-critique, but I am pretty sure that you're going to see sequences here that are going to be imitative of uh, all that jazz. So yet another thing you may want to catch up Great. on over the this show. Oh, do we want to talk about the plot of Death Rattle at all? I mean, this was a joke that really didn't work for me. It's almost like it, it, it didn't even seem like it should have worked as a as a Broadway show. It almost sounded like the description of that movie that came out recently, The Lighthouse, although there was only two people in that movie. So I'm like, how do you make a whole play out of this? I, I do like the premise of it, though, that there's only one person who could possibly be the killer, and it was a baby. <laughs> vaguely know what you're talking about with the lighthouse it actually reminded me a little bit of dexter um Mm -hmm. also and the name death rattle and then the logo (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot happening there (laughs) once again maybe making fun of broadway in general because i do not watch broadway shows in general but i do you know whatever out of curiosity would just read an article saying like what was nominated for the tony award this year or something and then i'll look at the nominees and there's the obvious shows, the ones that are you know are actually popular because I see the billboards like on the highway when I'm driving, and you know you hear the see the TV advertisements. But then you get past like the first one or two shows, which honestly there's probably only one or two really big hit shows every single year that's new. And then I look further down and I read like the name of the Broadway show and the premise of it, and I'm like, that's a show. Like, <laughs> are they out of ideas? What's going on over there? And like, maybe this would actually be a Broadway show. Plays and especially musicals are, in my mind, very strange. 
I don't know. There's just something surreal about them. And I think they even made a comment in this show just now about how strange musicals are, like people saying things <laughs> yes. they'd never say and acting like there's nobody there. And I saw a commercial for Merrily We Roll Along a couple of weeks ago. And <laughs> yeah. and I thought, like, I only know that as a children's song. So I actually looked up the plot and it seemed somewhat interesting, but the commercial was so strange. Like, I don't know. Broadway's weird, man. <laughs> to me, I, I, I mean, obviously, there are people that love it, love it, love right. it. And I, I'm happy they love it. To me, it's a little strange. I, I agree. <laughs> so maybe this would actually <laughs> potentially be a legitimate uh, Broadway show. Yeah, could happen. Okay, so we'll keep watching this show. I do not think we're going to go week to week on this. The first season, we did go week to week on the show. And uh, I mean, somehow we talked about it every single week. But... Uh, <laughs> There doesn't, and not as an insult to the show, but for a comedy which is pretty light. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think there's enough there to to discuss on a weekly basis. Maybe we'll check in in the middle of the season and say who do we think might be the suspect now, or what how how have things de developed, and and then check in like we did last year at the very end and say like, well, what did you think of the finale? What did you think about the season overall? How did did we guess the killer, etc. Sounds good. So a couple of things I want to bring up before we go. One is we have a couple of recommendations. I asked for recommendations for things to cover here on the show. I also asked for recommendations of thriller films that we should check out. Didn't get any recommendations around the thrillers, but did get recommendations about Full Circle, which we've seen, and we should mm -hmm. have a conversation about it. I would love to. And another recommendation for Lioness, the new, what was it codenamed Lioness? It's, the, it's a very popular show, the new- Taylor Sheridan TV show on Paramount Plus, and I think on CBS right now, because it's such a shortage of content, they're streaming it on the network as well, which from By what the I've way, heard- very funny throwaway yeah. joke about Paramount Plus in this Only Murders, I will say. Martin Short and Steve, Steve Martin talking to each other, and one of them saying, yeah, you know, you introduce me to new things all the time. You convince me oh. to <laughs> sign, sign up for Paramount up for Plus. Paramount Plus. <laughs> And then there was a question about like, but did you really want it? <laughs> Which I think is how people feel about Paramount Plus. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Another joke, by the way, that I think landed pretty well from here that you're just reminding me of individual jokes was when they're going to split up and do the investigation during the actual wake. And they go, I'm going to go up to the church to the, and he's like saying, naming all the parts of the church. And he goes, yes. what did you go to Catholic school? And yes. he's like, do a crossword puzzle every once yes. in a while, which is true. Like every crossword puzzle is full yes. of like all the different parts of the church. <laughs> Always fits into a crossword puzzle for some reason. Okay. So we will probably touch on your recommendations. And if you do have additional recommendations of other things you are currently watching or watched recently and want us to discuss here on the show, let us know. There will be many gaps in the calendar. I already teased this a couple of times, but there is a erotic thriller that's been getting rave reviews came out of Sundance earlier this year. And people were saying this film, it's called Fair Play, is going to reignite the erotic thriller genre. And Sona and I have discussed multiple times. I'm like, what happened to erotic thrillers? Sona's a big fan of erotic thrillers or psychological thrillers in general, not just the erotic elements of them. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but we tried to watch Dark Water last year, which kind of was a miss, although it was very entertaining to watch, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yes, wow. I've been waiting for Netflix to announce this very this film they paid a lot of money for to be slotted on the calendar, and they've put it in for October 13th, I believe, so mid-October, although it's coming out of movie theaters a couple of weeks earlier, somewhere around there in September through October. Sona and I probably will be 
uh, doing some homework, either re-watching some of these classic films, or I think, Son, I'm going to give you some homework and make you watch some of these classics from the 80s and 90s that you probably have never watched. So we'll discuss that off mic and come up with a schedule of films to check in on. We'll probably start that miniseries sometime in September. Sounds good. And the last thing I want to mention to you is that I've been watching, I just binged all of it uh, just this week, The After Party, a show we covered last year on yes. Apple TV+. Plus. Mm-hmm. And I want to re- recommend it to you because for anybody who hasn't seen this show, if you like comedy mysteries, I think this is a nice thing to watch. And they're on the air simultaneously. The Apple TV show has been on for weeks now. Only Murder is just beginning, but they'll be overlapping in their run for the remaining four or five weeks of the Apple TV show. It is the second season of it. You do not need to see season one, but there's no reason not to watch season one. For me, season one, the premise of it is that everybody's being interviewed by a police officer. Each version of their reality of what happened to them is done in a different genre, and it leans into all the tropes of that genre. And I love this idea so much. And I was a little disappointed they didn't quite pull it off. The in execution was not great in season one. Or uneven, because sometimes it was very, very good. And sometimes it was just like, eh, okay. Mm. This is still the framing device for season two, but they have abandoned it a little bit. When they're telling the stories, we're in the genre of the show, but it doesn't try to bleed into the other things that are the other parallel action. So in some ways, they're kind of cheating a little bit. But I think it works better from just a comedy perspective. I laugh out loud in every single one of these episodes, multiple times per episode. And I have a couple that I would recommend highly. So the very first episode is Anik's point of view. Anik is back. He's mm-hmm. at a wedding when someone dies. And Anik and Zoe are together and they're meeting her parents for the first mm-hmm. time. And mm-hmm. it's supposed to be two things. It's a rom-com and a sequel. So they make fun of the fact that it's a rom-com and a sequel. It's very much like Meet the Parents. Of course, everything goes wrong no matter what he tries to do to impress them. It's Meet the Parents all over again. And the first episode I felt was very clunky. It's also long. It's 40 something minutes long, which is too long for this show. So I felt like "Eh, first episode, a little rough, didn't love it. Although I had a couple of funny moments in it. And then the second episode is from the bride to be's perspective or bride, I guess that wedding actually occurs, the bride's perspective. And it's done like an old costume romance. It Mm -hmm. is hilarious. Like the dichotomy of people in these costumes, but then like having to deal with contemporary the contemporary world like all every time that something clashed like that made me laugh out loud third one was uh, a film noir shot in black and white hilariously funny oh, oh and then the the one that's probably gotten the most buzz online is the fourth episode which is a Wes Anderson movie with the title cards and everything you know like the uh. bright colored the sets and everything impeccably done it's very very funny that's become a real thing. I yes. think actually mm-hmm. it's peaked on TikTok. All over TikTok, yes. Right, TikTok. with everybody putting their day together in a Wes Anderson style. And some of them are very well done. This one's impeccable. It's like yeah. really beautifully done and very funny, like all the getting all those little details absolutely right. Even like the line deliveries and the way people interact with each other. We know what, how they actually interact based on the other recreations we've seen and then seeing it done in the Wes Anderson style. Very, very funny, mm-hmm. perfectly on the money. But Sona, this week's most recent episode was an erotic thriller and it was hilarious. Oh, really? Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Catch up on that. I liked it very much. It's been very, really entertaining. And there's a, you know, there's like four more, five more episodes left. Once you get past the first episode, they're all like 20 something minutes long. It's a quick binge. I think they've done a great job this season so far. I laughed in every one of these episodes, laughed out loud. Well, that says a lot. So do check that out if you uh, have Apple TV Plus. 
and you haven't watched season one, you don't need to use season one. Although, by the way, everybody from season one makes cameos in very surprising ways in season two and uh, very entertaining how they've integrated those characters back in. But season two, for me, an upgrade just as far as the laughs per episode. Very, very good. And that's about it. Did you have anything you wanted to recommend or bring up? Um, you're not going to want to hear it, but I am really enjoying this new season of Real Housewives of New York with a completely new cast. <laughs> you do love that. So just putting that out there for everybody. I'm sure there are listeners out there who appreciate it as well. I can't I, I can't get a handle on that. I've uh... <laughs> what a nice way to say. I think that's trash. <laughs> I can't get a handle on that. My my wife used to watch some of the Real Housewives shows. She doesn't watch them anymore. She doesn't watch any TV. She's just so busy all the time. But she used to watch those all the way back when we were dating, honestly. I can't believe, by the way, just in saying that, how long these shows have been on the air. But mm-hmm. you know, she would have it on. And of course, she could have a whole conversation with me about her day, like you mentioned before, Sona, without um, you know even having to barely engage with what's on TV. It was like a very casual view. Obviously, I think that's part of the low stress appeal of right. watching those shows. You probably had this experience where we're out to dinner somewhere with you and I, and I can't ignore the music. I have to tell you, like comment on the music that's coming up. And most people just see it as background noise and they're not listening to it. In the same way, I could not like tune out (laughs) The Real Housewives. So I'm just like, what is (laughs) happening on this show? And not only like what is happening on the show, the construction of the show, it's they're giving me a recap of everything I need to know every three minutes in the show. It's like, which I guess lets you- (laughs) Let's you dip in whenever, but I'm like, why would I watch this whole thing if you're just going to recap it every 15 seconds? I don't understand. It's just, it is a bizarre structure for a TV show, and I, like I said, can't, can't get my. I, can't, I just couldn't engage with it. It just is very difficult for me. <laughs> and that's my opinion on that. Well, I mean, I get it. I get it. It's not for everyone. <laughs> And of course, you go, the more you watch it, of course, and they have relationships with these people over the years, et cetera. So I know there's some aspect of that to it as well, but I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> All right. I think that's it for now. And we will uh, pick it up next week. I honestly don't know what we'll be discussing, but uh, maybe we'll have our full circle conversation. Anybody who wants to listen to our episode next week, who happens to have HBO Max, we have a new series that we recommend. I think we both recommend this. It's called mm-hmm. Full Circle. It's a mystery and a bit of a thriller as well from Steven Soderbergh, who's um, very prolific and uh, with an all-star cast. Oh, my, my last um, ancient reference, yeah. Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Of course, Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Yeah. <laughs> we could definitely have a whole little side digression on because I know you have a mixed relationship with his properties, but we could talk about his, uh, his career a little bit and then talk about the show. But anybody who wants to listen to that show, do check it out. All six episodes, only six episodes are available to listen uh, to watch right now on the HBO Max or Max, whatever the hell it's called now. And um, <laughs> <laughs> so do check that out if you're curious. That's what we'll be discussing next week. And I look forward to having that conversation with you, Sona. Me too. All right. Have a great weekend. Take care. You too. <laughs>